I'm going to kick today's episode off with a movie recommendation. Not that it needs it because it's on the biggest streaming platform right now, Netflix. And it's got guys like Jamie Foxx and Snoop Dogg in it. But still, I'm going to recommend it because I thought it was freaking cool. And it's the reason why today's episode is happening. Day Shift, a Lost Boys meets John Wick fun popcorn flick. Go watch it. I think it's in the top 10 in uh, Netflix's little, whatever, daily or weekly top 10 list that they do. I liked it. I enjoyed it. And so therefore I reached out to whoever worked on the film would talk to me. And I was able to get the guy who was in charge of cutting this thing together, the film's editor. And he's got a pretty outstanding resume leading up to making Day Shift. So with all that being said, welcome to the basement. Okay, so about a week and a half ago, I rushed home because I heard a film called Day Shift dropped on Netflix, a new Jamie Foxx film, Uh, Snoop Dogg's in there as well, Dave Franco, uh, dropped on Netflix, and uh, I'm never, I don't even know if you remember this at all, but I'm never on Twitter, Uh, and I just happened to tweet about it, and I got a like from uh, my guest here today, and I just did a little digging. I'm like, holy shit. Uh, Paul Harb, the editor of Day Shift, liked my tweet. So, of course, I did my due diligence and tracked him down to get him on the show. Paul, welcome to Tyler Geis's Basement. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right, man. So, uh, we'll touch on Day Shift in a little bit. It's the you know prominent, most recent um, movie project that you have out. Uh, yeah. I just said this right before I hit record. I'll say it for the listeners. Very impressive resume of movies. This is, uh, yeah, man, I, I don't even know where to start, but I Thanks. actually, I do know where to start because, um, you're a South, uh, Southern California native, right? I am. Yes. One of the few. Uh, and I'm just going off your IMDB kind of bio and whatnot. You grew up like around the studios on the CBS lot, I believe. Yeah, well, kind of. So I, I, I was adopted and my, my adopted mother, um, she worked as uh, a, the IMDb is actually wrong. I, I think it oh, says, uh, I think it says that she was an assistant to um, a costumer, which is not the case. Um, I'll have to update it. But she, she was the assistant to the head um, art director on the CBS lot um, back in the 80s. Um, and so I would, uh, maybe even in the late seventies, I'd have to check again, but, but yeah, so I remember as a child, um, going to visit her at work, um, and she would take me to, uh, to sets. And so I, you know, I remember being on the original WKRP in Cincinnati, uh, with Lonnie Anderson, um, Hill street blues, which was a great cop show back in the day. Um, so I, 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 I kind of grew up around it just in the sense that my mother was in the business and she, she actually went on to uh, do head of research at Western costume company, which is one of or the oldest um, costume company um, in Hollywood. And um, I remember going there as a child as well, which was pretty, pretty cool just to see all these um costumes that I had seen in movies and and obviously at home um she was really into to films and cinema and so so we watched a lot of she was really into musicals as well and theater she was a theater major so um so I I was exposed to um uh to that at a, at a very young age yeah yeah I mean I'm pretty envious of you you kind of literally out of the gate we're in the industry. There's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure you've still had to put in a lot of work to get where you are now, but I, that's, that's freaking cool. I'm not it's just really, saying that for the show, man. Yeah, no, it, it, it is cool. I think I, I definitely didn't appreciate it back then. Um, yeah. 
I, uh, I had, I, I grew up with a bit of a chip on my shoulders just because of kind of what I had been through already by that she adopted me when I was three years old. Mm-hmm. So I, I had already been through a lot and, um, and honestly music, uh, at a very, very young age was my passion. Um, definitely not, uh, films and television. I, I, I kind of, I mean, besides being on the set, um, which I really enjoyed just kind of the energy on the set. Um, and I obviously really loved movies and TV and stuff, but, um, I, I didn't ever foresee quite frankly, ever going into, uh, that field. I, I was so focused on music into my twenties. Um, I went to a music school uh, called Musicians Institute of Technology here in Hollywood, right out of high school. Um, so that was that was my focus, and um, honestly, I, I got into this kind of just by chance um, opportunity and and um, being at the right place at the right time and and taking advantage of some opportunities and and fa- and and eventually falling in love with with just the create creative process, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I was having a hard time making a living, uh, in music. So, um, to, to have found something where I felt like, uh, I had something to contribute and I could actually feed myself, uh, was, was like, it was like a lifeline really at, the, at that point in my life. Um, <clears throat> it really kind of saved my life. It gave me something to really focus on and throw myself into, um, uh, interestingly, my, my mother had no, <laughs> there's no way she could have helped me at all in my path. You know yeah. what I mean? So um, I think some people read that and think that, oh, well, he was born into the business. That's, that's just not, not the case at all. So, yeah. And, uh, and actually funny enough, just real quickly, my, I, I ended up uh, reconnecting with my biological mother uh, about seven, seven years, uh, actually it's been about 10 years, maybe. Um, and she ended up being in the business as well. She was a, uh, a, a makeup artist. Um, and she did, you know, Baywatch back in the day, a bunch of movies. She, she, when I met her, she was uh, a makeup artist, uh, on the Conan O'Brien show, the late night show. Um, so just an interesting yeah. chance. Yeah. yeah. That's so I guess, I guess I was born to do it. I don't know. um well i mean grow i mean you mentioned you know you watched a lot of movies and musicals and obviously you transitioned into really being close with music i'm going to touch on some of that in a little bit but growing up that close to the industry even how like who had an impact on you like what shows what films what actors directors anybody like who had an impact on you um, as far as films, I, I think honestly, directors had more of an impact, um, directors and, and movies that I really, um, enjoyed or, or had an impact. I, I will say just from a, it's, it's an odd, um, thing that sticks in my head as kind of a catalyst for editing in particular, um, was natural born killers, um, yeah, it, 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 JFK as well, but but man, I, I I went and saw Natural Born Killers in a theater with a group of friends. Um, we actually had dropped acid, believe it or not, um, and went and watched this movie in a theater. Um, and I, you know, I see that going well. I, I don't know, yeah. Um, but I just I I remember I went back and watched it again. So I was so blown away at the creativity and just the raw expression where they just kind of felt like they threw everything out the window that I knew of what uh, a movie narrative would be editorially. Um and it was just so um, impactful to me that it, it really had a lasting um, impact. Uh, and and I, I, that was kind of the first time where I was like, wow, I really would like to uh, look into editing. I, I think that's something I could really express myself uh, in. So, Yeah, Natural Born Killers was, I mean, I was... 
gosh, I don't even know when that, that, that came out, what, early nineties or something. Um, a little kid then to age myself, yeah. but I caught it later on in life and kind of reverse engineering when that movie came out to anything that came out after it, that that's definitely one of those movies where the industry or whatever people just thought, Oh, you can make movies this way now. And basically right. because of, yeah, that, that's such a, that is such a well edited. I don't know the right word, but I know you, I'm trying to speak the same language as you. It just, the way it's cut. It's so raw. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just so, it's so unique. I mean, the, 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 the story with uh, Mallory Knox's father, who mm-hmm. was, um, uh, uh, Rodney Dangerfield, um, and the way they did it as a sitcom, right, with yeah. the laugh track and everything, um, juxtaposed with the subject matter, which was really, really dark. Yeah. Um, I mean, he he was molesting her, and um, it was dark. And then you'd have this this laugh track. I I just I was blown away, man. I it really. Uh, that that extreme juxtaposition um i just thought was so brilliant um it's really cool yeah you mentioned jfk too that is again for three hours i've never been entertained by a three a three hour film like that yeah i think that the editing in that is is also really brilliant um not as kind of off the rails uh, yeah. outside the boxes as uh, as natural born killers, but but definitely um, just at the time it felt really unique. And um, it you know I know it's a lot of people shit on the both of those movies. I think for for probably more political reasons, um, but I think just just from a storytelling point of view. Um, it, it it just felt cool and unique and it uh jfk in particular like it felt very grounded right because they did yeah. these kind of um documentary style cutaway things and um but it wasn't uh like i said it wasn't like natural Born killers where it was just way out there so it felt very um for better or worse it it felt like it gave a real seriousness um and legitimacy to the story that that uh, Oliver Stone was trying to say, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I just I just thought it was cool. And um, the first stuff I I ever edited was um, really short form, flashy, kind of abstract. Uh, I worked with a lot of bands, um, so so that first stuff was you know they didn't have budget. This was stuff that you would see at their show. Right. So what was on the video screens, um, stuff like that, visuals for the concert. Um, and so I would get with the artist and, um, you know, I, he would go through the set list and, and, and I kind of had free reign for the most part after kind of picking their brain about what the song was about, um, even in an abstract way. Um, but we didn't have budgets really for that stuff. And, and you're not going to go shoot all original stuff to create these little two and a half, three minute, um, visual things. And, um, so, you know, this is back in the day of DVDs. Um, so I would just, uh, go to the store. I would get a, a small budget for each project. And I, I would go to the store and steal, quite frankly, uh, uh, it's kind of like remixing in a way. <laughs> um, I would steal documentaries, movies, a- anything I could get my hands on. I would rip those DVDs and then, um, you know, lay the song down on my timeline and and tell a story basically with all these different images that I would steal from all over the place. And, and through that juxtaposition, um, give some sort of feeling or some sort of story, Mm -hmm. um, behind the song. Um, and that, that was very, very fun. And I kind of, uh, I I liken it a little bit to some of the stuff that I took away from natural born killers, just this very abstract, um, a lot of subtext in just these images that are coming at you um, 
that kind of pertain usually to the either the feeling of the music or the lyrics or whatever's happening or um, whatever we're trying to convey. So um, I did that for a long time, actually. Um, and I kind of that's kind of how I learned um, the craft of editing was was just this kind of remixing and stealing other people's stuff, yeah. making making it say something else, you know? Yeah, I I have a friend who has been on the show and he's probably going to, he, he listens, I believe, weekly. So he'll, he'll know. Um, he, he, him and I would be smoking some marijuana and, um, and uh, we would just be obsessed with like the timing of music and movie trailers. And especially in the last 10 years, I feel they've become such an art form. Yeah. And he even a couple times went out and, you know, grab footage from a movie he likes and mash it up with a song and make, I guess, you know, he made like fan trailers, but like got really good at it. Yeah. And he took some, like, uh, I forget the name of the song and he, but it was, um, that yeah, doesn't really matter, but it was like one of those really like epic slow build songs. And he matched it up with a uh, footage from hook with Robin Williams. And sure. I think, and I think he did it. Cause like Robin Williams just died and, you know, like, people in my age group robin williams was such a icon in the i mean he 70s 80s and 90s i grew up in the 90s but sure um i think because like that death really struck a chord with guys my age you had him as genie and aladdin and whatnot and so he made this like cool little montage video and i was like dude i think you got a career in that and i mean but it's an art it's an art form man i mean um yeah it's uh yeah, it's definitely an art form. And, and at the end of the day, it's it's um, it's the same thing we do in movies that you're just trying to um, take the audience kind of on a ride and and um, you're kind of controlling the and story and you're kind of controlling that. the tempo of the movie, basically. For sure. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Which I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, working in live music and whatnot. And, you know, I, I'm just assuming what you're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong. Like I haven't been to a concert in years and that's not even because of a pandemic. It's just, I haven't gone to a damn concert in a while, but like, you know, up on the jumbotron, like the cool designs that are playing with the lights yeah. um, and the music, I just feel like, you know, that is such a good enhancement to the show that, you know, maybe not everybody in the audience really initially picks up on, but it's, having a visual at a concert i think besides just a couple blinking lights adds to it so much more yeah i think so too i think it also depends i mean what you don't want to do is take away from the performance true, true. um i i remember there was uh i used to work with uh the band godsmack a lot um this, this metal band out of boston oh yeah i'm uh, aware i'm from the northeast <laughs> Okay, there you go. Uh, they have a song "Living in Sin," and uh, I, I really like the images uh, that I created for that. Um, and you know, then I would go out on tour and trigger these things while you know I was live switching, live directing. Um, so I'd have these packages of things that I had built in pre-production for visuals. Um, and kind of intercut that with live cameras that are going on during the performance, and that would go up on the screens um but I, I i you know i've never asked sully i'm still really good friends with sully I, I, if you look at the that tour when they were doing that song um every night sully would turn around he would go up on the this riser in the back that was right right next to the screen um he loved the video that i had created for that and uh he would actually almost sing to the video. He would actually sit there and, and kind of stand, sit or kneel sideways um, while these images were going and while he was singing. And I, I always meant to ask him if it was a bit of a distraction. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's just in my head, but I, I, it was, it was the only uh, and I did a bunch of stuff for Godsmack and cause I used to tour with them. Uh, a lot as their video director. And it was the only thing I had done for them where he would turn to the video screen um, while he was performing the song, which I thought was uh, every night. Interesting. 
kind of. Um, I mean, it's always a little different, you know, he's, he's kind of doing his thing up there spontaneously, but um, it did seem like he was drawn into uh, for that song. He was kind of drawn into the imagery um, and I'm not sure if that's good or bad. I don't know. I mean, they're awesome performers. I have recordings of, of all the, I used to record every night um, our line or feed um, so I have a lot of that stuff. I haven't looked at it forever, but um, yeah, someday I'll ask him. Well, you worked with a lot of bands kind of coming up in that era. It sounds like yeah. uh, I'm just naming off some names. Tell me if it's true or not, but uh, Incubus, you worked with them. I did Lollapalooza with them. Yeah. yeah they were oh. on. Well, I, so I was the, the video producer director for Lollapalooza 2003, which was oh. the last year they actually toured it. Now it's, yeah. it's a residency right at, in Chicago. Yeah. I think they do one in the South America too, but, um, <clears throat> but yeah, so that year um, I was the director uh, producer of all the footage. And so there, yeah, Incubus was on that, uh, that was that was an awesome summer man that was probably one of my most memorable tours it was my first big tour um and just kind of the vibe of Lollapalooza is such a circuit it's so crazy because it's not just bands right it's contortionist and sword solowers and uh it was just it was wild it was the craziest summer camp I've ever I've ever had, but, but yeah, some of the band, you know, Jane's addictions, uh, Jane's yeah. addiction, obviously audio slave, um, uh, Jurassic five, mm. uh, just some amazing, I, on the second stage, what I loved is on the second stage were, were bands that nobody had heard of like Kings of Leon, um, 30 seconds to Mars. Um, there, there was a bunch of bands that, that were just, that was their first big tour. So they were on the little stage. Um, so yeah, I got to work with with quite a lot of bands, and that tour really kind of opened the door. Um, the vendor, the video vendor for that tour, I ended up becoming friends with, and they hired me to do some stuff. And that's actually how I met Godsmack was through that vendor, and then I became close with those guys, and they they would call me. I worked with them for about eight, nine years, I think. So you did that pretty much just with um live events did you do any like music videos or any promotional content for them yeah, yeah. um i directed two directed and produced two um music videos for universal for godsmack mm-hmm. uh crying like a bitch ah yeah. yeah i used to work out to that one yeah i did that music video and um they did a cover of zeppelin's uh, good times bad times yeah yeah i remember that one yeah no, I've, I've checked out those videos. That, that's cool. And here you are in the flesh. But um, uh, yeah, I, I think um, I had to, um, I'm, I love Godsmack. I, 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 but I tried to take like a couple years off from really listening to them. And let me just get to the point here. I was, uh, I played, I played high school football for like three years. Didn't really, didn't really like it. Um, kind of ran out of steam being a jock for me in high school. And uh, yeah, I, w- I, I don't know, but um, I'd have to do off season weight training. And there was like three or four guys on the team and like the defensive coach all were like buddies and they'd have to blast Godsmack in the gym every day when we worked out. And it's like, I like Godsmack, but I was like, Holy shit. I like, we got to mix it up a little bit. And they never did. They never did. So like, I feel like I, for two years, I was like, I can't listen to Godsmack. So like, I finally got back into Godsmack like 10 years ago. <laughs> but anyway, um, before I move on, I just want to make sure if this is true. Did you, did you work with Metallica? I did. Well, so Godsmack uh, toured with Metallica on okay. the, uh, is it St. Anger? St. Anger. Uh, it would have been 2000 and I don't know. It's all a blur, man. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, we, we did a year with Metallica. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, just now to jump from that into your work with feature films and whatnot, I believe you have, you know, like I said, you, you worked 
in the realm of doing a lot of uh, action films and whatnot and cutting cutting action films, which I think is a really strong art form to make a fight scene look really cool or a shootout. Um, an icon in Hollywood, I believe, kind of picked you up and had you work under him. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, I believe. Yeah. You, you've worked with him a lot. What's How did that come to be? Uh, so right after Lollapalooza, uh, I needed a job. <laughs> I needed money. Uh, and I, there was this startup. The Rocky calls you. <laughs> Lovi, well, no, like there was this startup um, TV station in Hollywood that was doing um, a bunch of different local shows. This was all for local television. Yeah. And they needed a, someone to build their, to build and oversee their video department, which I had done before in the late nineties for another company, excuse me. Um, and so I was there and I got a call from a good friend of mine uh, who had been hired uh, by Sly to do Rocky Balboa. He w- he was a film editor, my friend, Sean Albertson, um, who's, who's my best friend and really became kind of a mentor for me um but he called me and and they had let go of the second editor Um, they were still sly was still shooting principal photography um and they needed someone to come in and and work on the montages and and some of the fight stuff uh, maybe um and he's you know he sold me or sold me to sly uh so sly hired me and um uh yeah that was my first uh feature film uh that's not entirely true i i i i did for free sean did a uh clive barker movie um for universal it was for sci-fi channel actually if i remember correctly um and it was a little low budget straight to tv um, movie um and they, he, he sold that director on me as well. Um, I never was an assistant editor. Like that was kind of the first thing I was brought into, but I had already been editing for 10 years doing the mm-hmm. music stuff. And um, so, uh, you know, he brought me in to help with some of the temp effects. I was really good with, with after effects back in the day. And just, just, again, just kind of doing flashy, cool, visual stuff like that and um there were some sequences in that movie that needed some of that so i helped out with that so that was my first taste i did it for free um i just came in and and i was so excited just to work on something like that um and then through that i ended up uh, being an associate editor for that director on his next thing um so I had a little bit of experience, but not enough, honestly, to justify getting Rocky Balboa uh, as my as kind of my first uh, theatrical feature. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's it's kind of crazy, and that's what I mean by taking advantage of some opportunities. It's like I was scared shitless, man. Like I I didn't know the Avid at the time. Um, I would stay till three. We had this house up in Bel Air that we had rented to, to cut the movie. And while Sly was still working, um, uh, was still shooting principal. I, I was so petrified that, you know, this guy's going to come in here uh, uh, and sit with me. And, and I have to be able to be as fast on this thing as I am on other editing system that I, editing systems that I was more familiar with um, and Avid's a bit more stringent, um, not as much anymore, but it was back then for sure in how you do things mm-hmm. it kind of wants you to do it a very specific way as opposed to final cut or premiere, which are much more flexible in how you, um, you know, move stuff yeah. around and manipulate stuff. And so I would stay till three, four in the morning Um by myself just to get kind of up to speed um, on the technicals of the software. Um, It was all fine. Like I had enough experience. It all translates once you kind of figure it out. Right. So by the time he got back, I was good, but um, it's, it's interesting. I I was scared shitless, but it was one of those opportunities where you're like, you just gotta 
go for it and see what happens. Now, like you got so now, was there a situation where he was sitting next to you? Like, I'm not trying to fanboy out. I just like, I, I always want to, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is here is like, I've seen footage of like editors working in an editing bay with a director right there with them. And sometimes it looks yeah. like they're hovering. I've seen footage of Peter Jackson when he's edit when he's got his editors doing the Hobbit and he's just kind of sitting there on a couch with his feet up eating popcorn and going, Oh yeah, that looks good. Yeah. But like right. what, I mean, were you, I doubt he's just saying, Oh, that looks good. I, I, I he, so Sly doesn't hover. Okay. Um, thank God. Uh, but, <laughs> um, although I, you know, I, one time he paced back and forth, uh, with a samurai sword in his hand, which was a little unnerving so much so that I ended up stealing the samurai sword. It's in my office still upstairs here at, at the house. Um, cause I was tired of him behind me with this sword. Um, so yeah, I sly loves editing. That's, that's, uh, I mean, you'd have to ask him, but as far as I know that, that really is his favorite part of the whole process of filmmaking. Um, he, he, he's there all day, every day, um, sits behind you on a couch. Uh, he may have his feet up. Um, I'm not sure if he's saying that's great. That's great. He may be yelling at you a little bit here and there, but, um, yeah, he, he loves it. And, and quite frankly, Sly was really the only film school I've had. Like, um, and I'm, I'm eternally grateful yeah. for, for the knowledge um, and experience that I get, as you can see, I worked with him for quite a, quite a lot of years. Multiple um, times. Uh, yeah. Expendables one and three. Um, or you did mention you. All right. So you, back to Rocky Balboa real quick. Last thing on that. Yeah. Um, you're the a montage editor. Did you, were you the guy behind the training montage? Is what you're saying? Yeah. Or is, oh, dude. yeah. I did that. I, that I'm sure is they, awesome. I'm, thank you. Uh, I'm super proud of that, by the way. that That's the last Rocky. Mon- I mean, I know yeah. we've, they've done montages in Creed and, um, but there's something really special for me about just the opportunity to work on that last Rocky montage, um, to work with Bill Conti, um, which was just mind blowing. I, I remember the first time I got on the phone with him to discuss the montage and, um, I mean, obviously, we just ended up using "Gonna Fly," um, although they re-recorded it. Um, but it was, you know, I'm sitting in my shitty apartment in the ghetto in Long Beach, and I'm on the phone with Bill Conti, and he's he he cares about what I have to say, and um, he's going to record this That's uh, how it this goes. iconic <laughs> music um, for this thing that I just put together. Uh, it was so surreal. Um, um, and and I re- what I remember about that in particular is Sly calling me and he was about to start shooting the next morning, um, the montage stuff, the, the running, the running stuff, which is kind of the anchor for the whole sequence, right? Is him running and getting to the stairs and going up the stairs. And he said, you know, it may snow. Uh, if I'm lucky, it would be really cool. Um, I was like, oh, awesome. So I get the footage and not only did it snow, but it, it starts snowing at the beginning of the run. And then by the time he gets to the top of the stairs for his iconic uh, fist in the air, um, overlooking Philly, it's dumping, man. It's fucking dumping. And, and it was so, it was like God, um, wanted this thing to be magical and that's really when i watch that montage um it feels very special to me um yeah so i'm I'm super proud of that um i did work on i mean what was cool about balboa was uh sean being my friend is has no ego in the editing room and um it was so fun and exciting and sly was having such a good time because he's back making this movie with this character, I know he went through a lot to get this thing. Yeah. Uh, greenlit. Um, and we, man, we would sit in the room together, especially towards the end there when we were tweaking the movie. 
um, and and it just discuss everything. And it was a very open, free um, kind of creative process. And I think I that that moment in that room on that movie is a when I understood fully what a feature film editor actually does. Um, I didn't really understand the depths, even though I'd been editing for so long. Um, I didn't quite get how layered everything is and how you look and control and manipulate everything, the sound, the mix, like everything that you're trying to present as you're taking the audience on this journey. Um, and the process, the, the best environment for that type of a process, which is really, I kind of liken it to a rewriting, like you're constantly rewriting this film in the editing room. Um, that, that, that was when I really fell in love with feature film and their long form narrative editing. I, I just, uh, it was so creative. It was so fun. The results were so gratifying when, when, when you did something you felt when it was good, you knew, you know what I mean? You're like, this is good. You know, like the end when, when Rocky doesn't even care what the result of the fight is he just yeah. leaves the that that there was he shot it a couple of different ways and to sean and i that was the only way it could have ended like there's there's another version of that where he stays in the um i think there was even a version where he wins there is there was a version where he wins and we we just instinctually felt that that could never be the version that that wasn't what this was about you know yeah um, for rocky for the character so there's this interesting moment where when when rocky's walking back and everybody's giving him a standing ovation in the crowd while they're still reading the results mm -hmm. and then mason dixon wins the fight and rocky turns around and the crowd is chanting rocky like nobody gives a shit about who won the fight <laughs> Um, and there's this really touching moment at the end of that film uh, where it's kind of meta to me, where, where it's like, it's almost, it's not just Rocky saying thank you and goodbye to the crowd. It's Sly doing it as well. And, and there's so much crossover between who Sly is and who Rocky yeah, is as a definitely. person. Um, it's just, it's just a beautiful moment. I, I remember getting teary-eyed in the editing room um, at that moment. Um, so I, yeah, I just, I just fell in love with the power of editing and, um, and that whole creative process. And interestingly enough, not to go off on a tangent, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, it got me back into music. I, I had stopped playing guitar. I was so frustrated uh, with getting nowhere with music and um, I, I'd kind of sold all my gear and um, working with Sly and, and, and kind of understanding that process um, made me start buying guitars again and playing music again. And um, uh, understanding that th there is a process to, a finished thing if it's ever finished mm -hmm. but but the thing that you're doing immediately that's that maybe is this spontaneous expression on an instrument say um those are just little nuggets ideas and the hard work is working that idea and working it and working it over time and tweaking it and making it something great um i i think that that process i learned in film editing Mm -hmm. uh, in particular from Sly and uh, it made me appreciate um, uh, applying that I you know I started applying that to to guitar playing and and um, it, it became much more enjoyable again uh, which is just interesting yeah no that you seems like you got the best form of film school like you said I mean to work under Sly Stallone and especially on Rocky Balboa, because I remember going, I remember going to see that movie. I think it came out end of like 2006, I think. It was like 
I believe Christmas, so. Yeah. Christmas. Yeah. Time, Christmas. I yeah. And I, I think, Thanksgiving maybe. Yeah. Like I, I think I was like doing some Christmas shopping or something. And me and a friend were just like, do you want to go see Rocky Balboa? Cause like I had a, I have a, I know he's listening. So uh, I have, I sometimes have a cynical father and he was very cynical and Stallone coming back at his age to do a Rocky movie. And I was like, nah, I don't know that. I don't know. Like I, I went in blind and holy, like, I was like that for a, for a sixth installment coming off of a fifth one, 15, 10, 16 years ago, which a lot of people are critical of. I don't mind Rocky yeah. five, to be honest, but um, I was like, damn, like that, it, it definitely was a good kind of, um, even though they went, you know, obviously Creed, Creed one and Creed two uh, came out, which I know you're, you are well aware of, but I think that was like kind of a good curtain close on Rocky sure. stepping in the ring. For um, sure. Yeah. I was looking behind me cause I think I got the DVD like right there, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, that, that you definitely got really good crash course, uh, film school working with him, yeah. um, as an editor, are you ever on set? Do you ever make an appearance on set sure. or are you, cause yeah, my, just my to... experience, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Oh no. I was just saying, I think last I used to, I used to, I might be, who knows what the future holds, but, um, I used to work on sets too. And sometimes we'd have an editor there just kind of piecing together a rough cut out of the gate. So I don't know if sure. you were there too. Sometimes. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was not there on Rocky. Uh, we were back here in LA for the whole shoot. Yeah. Um, I've definitely been on, on set, uh, for some movies I've worked on. Um, yeah, it just kind of depends on the movie and the director and what's, you know, what's needed. I, I usually the director may want the editor there, um, to make sure if they're a little nervous about that they got everything before they strike something or if there's something that's you know previs and vfx heavy and um they they you know those are expensive fixes if you realize in post that you didn't quite get what you need yeah um, um moments for characters all, all of that stuff so um it just kind of depends I mean, I will say nowadays, everything is so, it's so easy to just remote someone in. Um, I can share my timeline through a computer. Um, they can get immediate um, visualization of stuff. Um, so there's not as much need, I think, to be on set as much anymore. Um, but some, some directors still feel more comfortable having their, their editor there, so. Just yeah. depends. Definitely. Um, I mean, you went on to, I won't ask really too much here, but anything you want to say, I mean, you went on to continue to work in the Rocky universe, if that's what anybody is calling it. Cause I know movies that now are the universe of such and such, but Creed two, I was on for the whole movie. Yeah. Um, and I cut all the fights in Creed two. So I was hyped for Creed two, or as a friend of mine said, it's Rocky four part two. Uh, <laughs> um, but let me uh, let me jump ahead uh, to kind of why I reached out to you to begin with. Uh, just sat down one night, watched Day Shift. There was a lot of hype for it. Um, how did how did this land in your lap? I got a call uh, from Chad Stahelski, the director of John Wick, the John Wick movies. Yeah. Um, so Chad called me directly. Um, and said, Hey, I got this buddy directing a, a movie and, um, you know, it's his, his directorial debut and, and could you read the script and see if you're interested in helping out? And so I did, and I was interested and that's kind of how, how it happened. And the director, uh, JJ, his last name, JJ Perry, JJ Perry, his last name was escaping yeah. me. Um, I just, he has a background in like stunts, right? He does. I mean, he came up with Chad. Yeah. yeah, and Chad used to be a stunt guy. Um, he he was a stunt guy uh, for years. Uh, still is, although I think he's trying to not do it as much because yeah, uh, we all get older. Um, and then he did uh, second unit directing, fight choreography. I mean, he's he's done. If you look at his resume, he's he's done huge yeah. stuff, and he's been doing it for thirty years. And um, so yeah, Chad gave him 
this opportunity. And uh, I, the script was brought to Chad uh, by JJ and uh, some people JJ knows that brought the script to him um, and uh, Sean Riddick and uh, Yvette Riddick. Um, and, and Chad had some connections, I believe, at, at Netflix and um, they kind of connected all the dots and mm. um, put a put a thing together and they made it. <laughs> no, I think... I think I heard uh, JJ Perry on a different podcast. Uh, it's called the movies that made me. And I think that's what he was. He was just hyping up the fight scenes on this on day shift so much. And I got to say the first was it the opening little scene with Jamie Foxx. Yeah. Going into the, like some of like, it's just some of the best, like fight choreography and cuts. Um, I haven't, I don't know. I, I just, it felt like what would like, there's one, I don't know what question I'm trying to form here, but there's one shot. I'm sure maybe you've heard about it. Maybe talked about it um, in the opening scene where a mirror is used. Cause yeah. anybody who doesn't know this. Jamie Foxx is pretty much a vampire hunter in the movie. And uh, like, how, how, how'd you make that look so good with that one mirror shot? I mean, it's, it's visual effects, right? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, that's all, uh, I think I get, you'd have to ask JJ, but my, my understanding is, and it makes sense is, you know, he's been doing second unit for other directors for so long. And I think when you do second unit like that, you're, you're always coming up with these gags, right? These things, these crazy things you can try and pull off, um, there's a bit of competitiveness in stunt work like that. You're always trying to kind of do something that nobody's ever seen and um, outdo your friends. And um, so I think JJ over the last 30 years has compiled all these things in his little bag of tricks that, that maybe he pitched to a director and they're like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. Um, and so kind of like, if you watch day shift, the action sequences, there's a lot of gags and yeah. just kind of bananas over the top stuff, which really that type of a movie um, that quite frankly, you know, the story is like, whatever um, <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's fun. It's over the top and fun and just kind of bananas. And, and so that mirror gag, you know, part of it is telling the story and just kind of letting the audience, like they're vampires, right? So yeah. you can't see them. And there's a kind of a, there's a comedic element to that where you just, the camera whips over and, yeah. you know, as Jamie's struggling with this, this old vampire on his back and, but all you see is the old lady's clothes um, on Jamie. So it was just, and then the way he brings her in is really cool as well to kind of break that gag. And then the camera follows her down uh, to the floor. So yeah, it's just a visual effect, man. It's, it's yeah. shoot a plate that's empty shoot the action and, and the visual effects team puts it together. And um, the, the, the stunt person that played the old lady was uh, for that shot was wearing a blue bodysuit, you know, covered her face. Everything was covered and um, had the old, old granny clothes on and that's what you get. Yeah. It's a cool gag. It's fun. Yeah. De yeah, definitely. Um, when like, just because while I was watching it, I got like other movies going on in my head of like, I wonder sure. if they were thinking of this when they were doing this. Like, I don't know. I got like kind of like a, a Lost Boys vibe in some parts. Like, were you guys like referencing movies in the editing room or something like uh, we could or maybe not even the editing room, probably where they were shooting, too. But like, were there certain well, vibes you guys were going for? That, I mean, even before I was involved, that's all JJ, man. Um, he, you know, he's, he's 54, I believe. Um, he grew up on the same movies I grew up on. Um, Lost Boys was definitely um, before he ever shot it. That's yeah. like, he had in his mind, Fright Night, Lost Boys. Um, there's some Sam Raimi, Evil Dead in there, obviously, oh, yeah. especially with the old, old lady. Um so yeah, I mean this that's all JJ. JJ had a he wanted to make a popcorn flick, you know, and and um an over the top fun popcorn flick that didn't take itself seriously 
And there's a lot of homages to those movies that that he uh, grew up with. And Lost Boys, I mean, there's a tag at the end of the movie that literally is uh, a wink to Lost Boys where he says, uh, Snoop's character, Big John, says, uh, that's what I love about L.A., all the damn vampires, um, which is obviously a, a callback to Lost Boys, so. Um, Big Trouble in Little China was another reference. Oh, I didn't think about that, but I, damn, yeah. I can't believe I did that went over my head. Yeah. Especially that ending with just the setting of it. Um, cool. Uh, well, yeah, man. Uh, this is the part of the show where I kind of wrap things up here, but cool. I, I just, I got to say day shift is like, it's streaming on Netflix right now, dropped by the time this airs about a week and a half ago, but um, it is exactly what you just said it was. It's a popcorn flick, have some fun with it um and a lot of cool references in it but um i understand how ndas work in this line of work but uh do you have anything coming down the pipeline you could plug at this moment uh i don't actually i uh i i just i I, i've been off day shift for just over a month now um i am working on my house i live in a very old house that needs a lot of work (laughs) Um, so I've been kind of dealing with that stuff and, and, uh, just, you know, all the stuff you don't get to do when you're working on a, on a movie. Yeah. So I'll usually take a couple months off between gigs. Um, I'm just now starting to, to talk with my agent and starting to set, set some interviews up. So, but I have nothing specific right now. No, uh, cool. actually I take that back. I I'm about to help, um, a, a really good friend of mine, Isaac Florentine, who, if you don't know who that is, he's, uh, an amazing, he's a legendary uh, director. Um, a lot of Scott Atkins movies. He did, uh, you know, Boyka, the Boyka movies and Ninja, like he's this old karate guy. Uh, I love him to death. And, and he just did, a, or he's about to start shooting a, a little independent film. Um, and uh, it's something that I can do out of my house. And so we're, uh, we're hoping to jump on that um, for some time and, and try and help them out there. So yeah, that's about it. It's called cool. Hellfire. Cool, man. Harvey right. Keitel. Actually, Dolph Lundgren's in it as well. Get the fuck out of there. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. I, I came with I just uh, talked to them yesterday about it. I, it was oh. the first time I had talked to the producers. So hopefully, hopefully it'll work out. I had a, I was having conversations with the publicist. I might cut this part out, but I was having conversations with that's the right. publicist uh about a Dolph movie like earlier this year and i was trying to see if i could lock something down for this show but uh, we'll see what happens uh anyway paul man thank you for coming on the show this was awesome for thank sure you for talking to me and no um we will uh see you next week